Thanks for tapping into another episode of Untapped Keg, a place where we look at different perspectives in the sobriety and mental health so that you can take something and implement it into your own life, where we believe there's only one right way to sobriety, and that's the way that works for you. <laughs> I'm RJ Zimmerman, and I'm honored to be joined today by Michelle Rose Fortin, uh, author, mother, grandmother, someone who has over 21 years in recovery, and also a fellow breaker of generational cycles. How are you doing today, Michelle Rose? I'm doing great, RJ. Thank you so much for having me. So when uh, we spoke about coming on the podcast, there were a lot of really interesting topics that you touch on and things that I've also kind of talked about in the past on some different episodes and I've talked with other people about. And I'm really excited to get into that. But first, um, can you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and a little bit about your journey to writing books and, um, you know, breaking these generational cycles? Sure, I'd be happy to share that. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, as someone that grew up with uh, in generational dysfunction and alcoholism and child abuse, it it definitely takes many people down a very dark road because they don't know how to process the feelings, the emotions, the shame, the guilt. And for myself, I found that to be true. I, I couldn't get out of my own way of figuring out how to solve that being so young. And so drinking became the the go-to suppressor for that. Um, and as it took me deeper and deeper into that dark hole of addiction for 25 years, I mean, it just progressed on from one substance to another and um, <clears throat> jail, re multiple rehabs, um, overdosing, seizures. I mean, it was just an ugly, ugly world. And when I finally was able to escape it, I realized I did not want that life for my own children. And as I was finally coming out of my years of addiction, my ex-husband, who, you know, was left to take care of our children because I just checked out on life, picked up where he left off. And my children's father died at 51 because he just embraced himself back into that addiction so deeply. And I began explaining to them the ugliness of that world. And they were still fairly young, early 20s. And they could see that maybe there was something mom was saying, even though she was gone all those years, was right. Um, and I realized in that, maybe writing my story out would help other kids avoid that trauma by being empowered to share their journey. And I had only intended on writing one book when I started. So, um, yeah. That's a, and that's amazing to, to come to that understanding that sharing your journey is 
really powerful and it can lead you down some really um some really incredible roads that you didn't even realize was possible and that's something that um, i've been very passionate about is getting people to open up and whether you want to share it on a platform or not but just sharing your story and once you get it off your chest it no longer really weighs on you and that is powerful all on its own um you touched how in your journey about the uh, rehab stints and your newest book is tailored around um, rehabs and specifically the aftercare that comes after. What is it about the aftercare that um, is something that you're passionate about? Well, it's a really great question. And Within the last year, you know, even SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, has recognized or revealed that peer specialists are the most effective way in reaching those with addiction issues. That that someone that's been there, done that, can understand someone that feels that shame and that guilt and can, and can help them, as you were just saying, share that and unburden themselves so they can move forward and have a, a a happy life, right? A successful life untethered from that old myth of, oh, you're going to always be an addict. Well, no, because my addiction was only to suppress the trauma that I had in my childhood from whatever that form was, whether it was being ostracized by the school bully or whatever. Um so build, building a coalition of peer specialists to bring that kind of a dynamic into the community in an aftercare um, setting to, I don't want to say replace the socialization of AA and NA, but into more of a group therapy format that could help reach more people that can't afford to go to rehab. Yeah, and that's where you see a lot of the power of honestly, in the rise of podcasts when it comes to the recovery space and people who share their journey and creating communities. And that is what has been fantastic coming out of, honestly, out of COVID. And you've seen these Zoom rooms really open up and people being able to lean on one another. Um, I just recorded an episode, you know, that uh, the lady talked about being a part of This Naked Mind and how they started a group. And now they have weekly meetings on two different apps from this group, people all across the world. And so now you get to open that up to others and it doesn't necessarily cost anything more than your time of going onto Zoom or another app and really embracing that sense of community that does get involved. Absolutely. And so many people have told me that they just don't connect in the AA or NA space any longer. It's just too, uh, I don't want to, you know, just, they just don't like that atmosphere anymore. It just doesn't work for most people. I, I don't know if it's because it's such an, the platform originally is, you know, 85 some years old and it just, doesn't work in this environment as as well as as you're saying zoom 
and other apps that have that more um, community. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed too, when it comes to that is there's two different approaches. And I, I think that this is true in the mental health realm as well, where you have kind of, you know, a fear or you need to heal or else this is happening out there. And then the other approach is a lot of the embracing and compassion and grace and you, the balance is there. Some people it works, right? It works to have the different kinds of motivation. Other people, it's taking that pressure off that really helps people to kind of move along. So there's, there's pros to both models. There's cons to both models. But having the choices is really, really something that's important. And it's something you talked about earlier with the having the peer support specialists that can share their story in a responsible way and be there to give people the space to really talk about things that they're so worried about that has really kept them where they are in life and stop them from moving on. That, that is something that is really powerful as well. It is. And you know, there's so many different ways into the communities that are, are truly lacking in the ability to even attend any kind of a meetings, you know, and being able to move a, a new coalition or um, peer networking force into places that, you know, uh, even the AA community or NA community just can't tap into. I mean, even if you take peer specialists and, and do a group, why there's people feeding in a homeless shelter type atmosphere and to give them just that little seed of hope. I mean, so much can grow out of just the smallest gesture as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that seed is so that to me, that's, that's the metaphor that started an understanding of my, my self-discovery and mental health journey aside from um, not drinking and being sober where that seed was planted and it took a few years, but because that seed was planted, it's really grown into this um, enormous tree that just branches off all over. And it's, it's allowed me to be honest with myself. It's allowed me to get roots deep inside myself so that now it's, I'm a lot more steady when it comes to challenges in life. When you talk to other people about, um, you know, planting these seeds and peer uh, support specialists kind of trying to gear up there. What, what are you often met with um, when you're really bringing this forward? Well, hmm, that, that too is a very good question. I believe that moving this new platform or mindset into a community that is so entrenched in, in the familiar, right? Because change yes. is hard for everybody. And the pushback of, from um, those in power, those with degrees, those that believe that 
well, only we can, you know, treat you. Okay, but you've never been there. So how can you really say you understand how I felt? Um, so trying to break that barrier has been a bit difficult. And, um, but I do see that it is starting to find its way into different places and pockets. Um, I know there's uh, a a um a group near near me here where I work in with the opioid task force in the county just down the road um and they've got a group of peer specialists that goes into the jail down there and speak with um people that are mostly first time offenders to again plant that seed but they do have you know some uh, some training in mental health uh, formats where, you know, they can reach them at a different level than just the, you know, I, I hate to say outdated programs of ANNA, but, you know, they were really great when they started with, though I think that the approach to really trying to talk about the feelings and the, in the, the, the negative behaviors it causes branched out to just regurgitating war stories. And I hate to say it that way, but that is why I began this journey to, to, to show not just that, but how many of the, not my, just myself, but the, those that were part of my, my books now going into the fifth of um, their approach to finding their own way out. And, and having all these different voices and stories and ways that work for one and not for the other is so important. It it really is to talk about the different ways because that is something that's ingrained in society. When you talk about going sober, everyone's like, oh, you did AA or you did NA? No. Well, how'd you do it then? Uh, there's other ways like, you don't have to do it that way. And then there's people that meet that with, well, then you're not really sober. It's like, what, how do you know? What, what are you putting these labels on me for? Like, do I partake in this? No. Okay. That's enough. Like you don't have to have these things. And one thing that you talked about there that I think is something that we're seeing across completely across the board when it comes to talking about addiction or substance use, misuse, um, you know, and escapism in general really is the mental health where mm -hmm. we used to look at it like addiction, you know, what you're using is the cause of all of this mental health. And what we're really finding is that it's a symptom is that it's not actually the cause. And after you, let's say, give it up for a period of time, if you don't address the underlying, then there's going to be different ramifications in your life, whether you go back to what you were using before, find new ways of escaping and other ways that keep you stuck in your life instead of moving forward and living your life. When you talk and bring about that mental health aspect, do you see the peer support specialists can kind of help move that forward? Or is it more 
trying to get the mental health community to open up more when it comes to addiction and, um, and substance use. Honestly, I believe it's both. First, that the mental health community needs to be open to the fact that something needs to change, that what is there, the approach that's being used today is obviously not working. This ever-growing monster addiction needs something to battle it, and what is there right now is just not working. Um, and the peer specialist, I believe, most most people with substance abuse problems, as you said, it is the it, it the whatever drug or alcohol they're using is just or food or sex or gambling. I mean, addiction is huge, right? I mean, yeah. You put a label on it and say you're an addict, and they only think of drugs and alcohol. Well, no, and it is that underlying mental health issue that until it is truly addressed and let go of can you really move forward and there is a big place that we can utilize peer specialists into our communities to create this space to put your armor on someone and say well, you know i i've been there too and you can get out of this you don't have to just stay caught in this trap of using because as you can see, it's causing additional problems brought on by the addiction, and, and and you haven't even gotten to the mental health problem of what created it in the first place. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you that it's it is a lot of both, right? It's a lot of empowering peers to go out and be able to provide these services right and then also like the mental health community opening up to different possibilities different ways of doing things and you find you find this in any field where people who have been doing it for a long time are like no this is the best way well why because it's the way we've always done it mm -hmm. okay so can we try this way no because we haven't done it that way before and it's not the best way well, how, how do you know how did we make of advancements to get to this point Somebody tried it at one point, right? So trying to get people to understand and open up and say, hmm, let's try it. We don't have to do it for everyone, but there's certain cases that we could try it and see what happens because what's the worst that's going to happen? We're going to go back to doing it the way that we did before. Okay. Right. <laughs> and I mean, that, that translates to life too, where if we do something the same way. I'm not going to try it that way. Why not? Because I've never done it that way before. Okay. And it's the same thing, like, just try it, because what's the worst that's going to happen? You can go back to doing it the way you were before? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So opening it up to peers and allowing different ways to talk to people, honestly, to, to help people to understand and not just try to check a box, it would go so far. That's one thing that drives me absolutely bonkers is – the check a box um when it comes to mental health and it's like it it holds everybody back 
It truly does. You're absolutely right about that. And that check a box for these professionals that want to just write a script and take you from one addiction in many ways to another one is like, what are you accomplishing there? And, you know, there's many people that medication is the only way to, you know, to bring them out, but it feels to me and from what I've watched over the last five years is, is they just hook them into somewhere else and say, okay, you're now you're better. You're on, on a MAP program. So you can just stay on that one forever. And at least you're not doing whatever, you know, was more negative in their mindset, but you're still not addressing the mental health problem that brought them to that thing in the first place. Now, Obviously, there are many people that do need, you know, more intense mental health treatment, but the majority of people in addiction just need to be heard, just need to let that steam off their chest once and for all and put it, you know, over there and leave it. You know, in my book, I I, I describe that as in the last time I walked out of jail at midnight, after my third felony, I left my my garbage can, garbage bag full of clothes that I dragged out of the jail with me right there and all my troubles and said, okay, I'm not going back to that old world. I'm going to figure out how to move forward. And it wasn't easy. I had no money. I had three felonies. I couldn't even get a decent job for 10 years because <laughs> I had three felonies and you know so the struggle is real and that struggle is I think where society's like well you know you've got 10 fel three felonies and 10 years or 25 years in addiction you can't overcome that you can never be more than that addict well that's baloney yes you can yeah and when you tell people that their past is going to dictate their future that why where is the <clears throat> where is the um benefit of changing in there right exactly especially to a child i mean so that is what you know i'm 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 working on the most is 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 addressing the 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 teens right right here right now why they're still in their youth before they waste years and years in addiction adding more problems to whatever caused that that in the first place, those negative feelings and negative behaviors already impacting their world. And only then if we can we can address it and break this dysfunction right here and help them become the change the world needs, the role models, we just might be able to finally defeat this monster. Absolutely. And that's where the knowledge comes in. That's where the passing it on and wanting to share your story. So you mentioned how you left your troubles behind and you were able to move forward and it 10 years of struggle to get to a point where you had a decent job. At what point did you start to really look at yourself and understand that what I have, I'm proud of, and I want to share with other people so that they can be proud of themselves. 
You know, I, I, I started playing with the idea of uh, writing my first book about that 10, 11 year mark into my recovery. And it was right after I bought my, my house by myself, no help. Um, on my 12 year sobriety anniversary, I signed the documents for my house, which really just, I was like, okay, great. I've, you know, pretty much overcome everything. I, I, I have a decent job now working for a fortune 500 company, bought myself a house, a car, what more can I do, right? I mean, I've proved that, you know, the past does not define the future, was when I put paper to pen and uh, a brace on my hand so I could write it out. And I spent a year and a half writing out my life journey to that place. And I realized in doing that, in seeing all the people that I, I, I my lives I touched and they touched mine and my own children and that it would be beneficial to help. So again, I wrote my first book with a pseudo name T Rose because I never planned on writing another one. And I still had some fear of the old world that I was talking about and the repercussions that could come to me because of my status within that world. Um, but I realized in once it was published and all the people it was touching and they're like, but Rose, you only told us like how you came out of jail and you decided you wanted to change. Well, where's the rest of the story? I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I was like, yeah, I can see that. And so I wrote the second book, which is Free to Recovery Plan. And um, it was really powerful as well. But I realized that trap, the big trap, just one last high, which was the first book, was so powerful. And at first, it was it was causing almost more pain than I had anticipated because it was so raw and 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 just drew people in mm -hmm. um, that I seen the true benefit of giving them the recovery plan that I walked along with all those that put their arm around me and said, you can do this um, would be beneficial. And, um, and so, you know, uh, it, it, it was, it was quite, um, quite interesting it's been about 10 years now since you know I began that journey um, where um, you know I have now um beginning to embark on a um, god willing I survived to next year <laughs> an NIH research grant to bring a new platform for peer specialists and patients from both sides of the desk platform as an academic behavioral format. And I'm super excited about it. And uh, so may the higher powers above, you know, shine their light on it. So let's talk about that platform and the grant that you're looking to get. What what is this platform that is gonna that you know is your baby that you're really bringing into this world that you're excited about? Yeah, um, so it is with NIH, 
and their mental health, drug abuse, different sections of their, you know, this to a huge corporation or government entity and such. And I hope to be able to use that as a uh, a structured format that can be um, documented for different communities through, you know, the health human health services department, health health and human services, you know, DHS. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, DHHS, and to use the state-funded rehabs that that they fund for, um, and and utilize this as a an additional platform within these rehabs to see how it works, to to have a way to track it, to see its effectiveness. Um, It would be the only way to really be able to break those barriers of what was to what could be and it's only by testing it out and keeping the numbers your way against my way and see how it plays out so yeah i'm super excited that's awesome that i mean it takes a lot of work to be able to break those barriers down and build a bridge get people to understand um the possibilities it is so it's really, really difficult when you're looking at how many people could be not just like positively affected by this, but how much it's going to touch them from a professional standpoint. Right. And for you to have the fortitude to start and now you're in the, you know, the middle and, you know, as you said, hopefully see it to the end. It's something that, that could seem overwhelming, but after you see how your journey has played out and you see how much determination that you've had to get where you are now, probably at some point is like, it's just another, another thing here. (laughs) It has definitely been a journey. You know, I, at 50 began this, took my, what little retirement savings I had to, to create my first business to be able to publish these books and um, create the the initial research, right, with the two first my first two books and a um, group therapy or group support dynamic on Facebook over five years, which really was the initial research pilot program to see if it would be effective, if it could really help. Before I went and and knocked on NIH's door like, hey, you know, look at me. I I got a new idea that, it's, you know, let's give it a try. Like you said, what can it hurt? <laughs> yeah. And what is the your dream when it comes to being able to provide the post-rehab care or the post leaving, you know, the initial um, sobering up phase uh, behind? What what do you see that becoming? That's an awesome question. So <clears throat> what I hope to be able to do is take um, a, a initial set of 
trainees to understand the Quest program that I've created and and then take those trainees to train others as well as the those that will be utilizing the program from first the patient side of the desk and then working them back in over time as um, just support people in um in meetings, aftercare, you know, at the local church or uh, wherever we can hold those meetings and continue to grow that that population of peer support with um, an academic format that's almost like, I mean, they're going to have to read, right? There's there's lessons to be to be done from both what the patients are going to be interacting in as well as the peer specialists that we hope to train. But here's where the, the true the true dream is, is to be able to train these people and pay them to do this, to be part of the community and and the 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 strengthening, the the healing that it needs because well, most of us, I couldn't, can't afford $300 an hour to go see some PhD that hasn't a clue what the heck I'm talking about when I was huddled up against a wall in a raging hurricane and soaking wet because I had nowhere to be, nowhere to live. I was hungry. I was clinging to this bottle of water that had this much left in it. I mean, they don't have a clue what that feels like. But our peer specialists sure will because they've been there, done that. Yeah. To the same degrees. And that community, you know, fosters that connection. And when you see, as you said, the there'd be reading and it's, it is about doing the work. And when you're at the start and you see someone who has done the work and where they're at right now in their life, it, it is that seed that plants that hope that, oh, if I do this, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but I could get to that point. And it gives someone a horizon that otherwise didn't have one before. Absolutely does. So much hope. I mean, there was, there, there was a day when I had just come out of a major seizure and I was living near the water much like what's behind me here and in in this in i was ready to just walk in there and say that was that was just done and during my time my last time in rehab i mean in jail there was a a rehab program within the jail and i truly just decided it was time to embrace something new to figure out how to overcome all this trauma from my past and allow that seed to grow. And now wanting to help others plant that own, their own seed within themselves to see the possibilities of brightness in their life, hope, confidence. And that's when it becomes the most powerful and you really see people start to make the strides is when they realize that it's their hope is coming from inside them. And then they have something to latch on to. When you latch onto that, 
that is when things take off and you start to see the steps being taken place. And I think that that's where a lot of the struggle is initially with, especially people you care about, right? Why can't they see the hope that I have for them? Why can't they see? But it, when you are in it, you don't see what other people see, especially when you look in the mirror. You don't see what other people see when you're thinking about yourself because all you feel is that darkness and that void and that despair. And so when you realize that that hope is actually there, it's just this little flicker and you can start to grow it and you start to really embrace it. Like that is when you start to see things really start to start to happen in somebody's life. And it is about getting people to see it themselves. It can start with someone else, but when somebody sees it themselves, like you see the switch happen and it is, it's like, wow. And, and that's true. And that's very powerful. And I think one of the other one of the other things that holds a lot of people back from fully embracing recovery is the expectation of now I have to live up to what my my family sees as where I should be, the failure that I've I've already had and the expectations and the hope that I've already broken many times, at least for myself. And overcoming that stigma all on its own, forget all the rest of it, that family dynamic of the the guilt that you weren't there for this and you weren't there for that and the shame because, wow, I didn't see my kids first step, right? Because I was too busy off in la-la land. And that's really difficult to overcome for many people. And I do believe which is part of the the academic process on the in, in the program that I'm trying to you know bring to life here for for the patient is to give them a um, the ability to to put their academic their their intellectual stuff back together and and read and conversate and problem solve and and I mean that's a dynamic force and process that. Well, for many years, they haven't engaged in because they've been too wrapped up in self-destruction to think about any kind of thinking. And then they're sitting in rehab going, wow, in 30 days, I got to get me a job. And I haven't had a job in forever. And so putting their mind back to work, I think, is going to be a a, a huge ben benefit for their own self-esteem more than anything else for themselves, but also for their families to be able to see, wow, they might really be engaged this time and truly, truly want to be that person that we've always seen them being. Yeah. The end. <laughs> it's, those expectations when you haven't built that foundation really are so heavy mm -hmm. that it, it really does lead you to teeter. Right. And 
you mentioned earlier that your first um, study was a Facebook group. What did you learn having that Facebook group that saw you be able to work with self-esteem to build a foundation so that those expectations weren't so heavy? So when I wrote my first book and put it out there and uh, gave away a lot of books to, to see what its dynamic would bring, part of the reason why I expediently wrote the second book was because a lot of them relapsed, even temporarily, because of the impact of them seeing their own shame and guilt there. And they hadn't yeah. dealt with the underlying reasons they were an addict. Um, and it helped me to recognize there that, okay, now let's have these group con- conversations. Let's, let's empower each other. We're all in this together. We have so much more that is familiar or similar then we do um, opposites. And even though most of them would know that as truth anyways, they didn't realize that the way out was just as similar, but only in addressing um, or letting go of the familiar could they truly recover. And, you know, it seems like such a simple concept, but it's not because you get so latched on to this is all I know how to deal with this pain. I'm going to just pound myself with whatever the substance or or means is that after it just becomes habitual, right? It just becomes automatic. Yeah. There's no thought to it. It's just, I'm going to, okay, so my bottle of booze is almost empty. It's off to the store. I go if I have to crawl on hands and knees to get there to get me a new bottle. Mm-hmm. It really, that really reminds me of, you know, the phrase that I think a lot of people tell themselves is, if I want better, I have to be better. But what I've started to really say to people, changing one word in there that is more powerful is, if you want better, you have to do better mm-hmm. because it's the doing and the acting that allows you to be better. And before you do an act, there's nothing else that is there to be. It's just an expectation and you let yourself down and you get back in the cycle. But as you start to do and you act on it and you start to prove to yourself, oh, I can do this and you build that confidence, that's when you can start to okay, I wanted better and I'm being better, but the being comes from doing. And so having that do there really does, it it changes people, the way people look at things, including myself. I use it for myself often because it it helps me to realize that I don't have to skip the middle and do everything at once. Mm -hmm. I can actually take one step at a time and that'll get me to where I want to be. That is something that, you know, just what you said there really brought me back to how with some clients I've used, I've used that. They'll say, well, I want to be better. So, uh, you know, that I have to do something. It's like, well, if you want better, then you have to do better and start there. 
metal build. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And it is in that doing better that that builds more confidence to do even more, even with the setbacks. Like I said, having to wait 10 years before I could get a job where, you know, I could run a, a, a cash register or work from home taking people's credit cards or any other of the dynamics where you have to have a criminal background check. Well, you know, you the old saying, you do the crime, you got to do the time. Well, that's even working your way out. And it's possible by doing better every time you do a little better. Well, they recognize that even if they're not telling you they recognize it. But there will come a day when all those things that you were doing better, that next right thing will mm-hmm. pay off. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Michelle Rose, as we're kind of walking down to towards the end, winding down this episode. If people want to look at your books, where would they be able to find them? Well, all my books are listed or are accessible on uh, Amazon. You can also go um, to Barnes and Noble and either order them there or go online and order them there. Um, They are available at just about any book store platform globally and um, as well as my website at tiffy rose the numeric one recovery.com and um, I'd be you know excited if you wanted to reach out to me as well at rose at tiffy rose one recovery.com as well as Facebook I have uh, my Facebook T dot Rose um, dash speaker to look at some of the work that I've done there as well. That is awesome. Um, that way people can find, find your books. they be able to keep up with you. I love all of that. So as we have talked a lot about recovery and peer support and helping people to find their hope, is there one message that you'd like to leave people with today? The past does not define the future at all. You are so capable of overcoming whatever set you backwards or in that dark place. Just be strong for yourself and you will find your way forward. That's beautiful. I I love that. Thank you so much for joining us today. And again, this has been the Untapped Keg podcast, podcast where we look at different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you can take something, implement it into your own life. Go to untappedkeg.com if you'd like to be on the show. There's a new form that you can fill out to be able to come on. Or if you want to look into maybe some coaching services or some resources that you would be able to benefit from that don't cost anything. Um, again, that's untappedkeg.com. So let's be better tomorrow than we were today because at least we don't make it, we tried. I love you. Amen.